Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. Don't applause three. Please throw money. <laughs> <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> right. Welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live. I'm your host, Robert O'Haver, along with Matt Weber of Roar Internet Marketing. Matt, how are things? Doing really well, really well. How about yourself? How are you doing in this post-Google core algorithm update Fantastic. world? Fantastic. Any of your sites see a drop or anything? Uh, no, it's all been positive. Yeah, uh, same. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that were was not relevant. Like, I didn't care about that dropped, which I'm happy about. So maybe they're cleaning up things a little more. But uh, but your money keywords, the stuff that matters, oh, yeah. you didn't see any kind of no. uh, fall off. And small bumps too. So yeah, and it looks like the the core update really hit sites that have are updated intensely, kind of in the news entertainment area. Sites that are refreshed and updated with content a lot. Is yeah. what I'm seeing so far online. And, and you know, a lot of the uh, distribution content sites those got hurt. Yes. Um, so yeah, but. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about uh, some more SEO. Surprise. We're going to be talking about SEO? Yeah, surprise, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we're going to be talking just about everything. Uh, today, we're going to be, it's, the title of the show is SEO. What is it? <laughs> Lost, there it is. SEO in a Google, Google perfect world. Uh, basically, I imagine we're going to be talking about uh, blue sky for google <laughs> yeah and i think today's uh, guest is going to take a little bit of a contrarian view which is great because you know we're coming off a show with john Mueller, yeah. and john really did talk a little bit about what's the perfect world for google and so we'll compare that with our guest today who has his own idea of what the perfect world for google is and how that affects your website yeah a couple things i want to mention to you guys i'm, I'm sure you went to searchtalklive.com and saw that there is no site <laughs> um I don't know if I can blame GoDaddy on this or, or a hack, but uh, the site is down. I've decided that I'm just going to start from scratch and build it over. Um, so it's going to be a couple of weeks before I have it back up again because i got to finish this other project I'm working on. Uh, but we'll have another site back up shortly after. Uh, not trying to rank it or anything. We, we do pretty well here on the show. Uh, we have a good following. So uh, And also, if you're on Twitter... And you have a question. We are monitoring Twitter. So you can go to hash, type hashtag search talk live in Twitter with your question. And our guest today will uh, answer those questions live on the air. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, yeah, we've got our guest today is Jeff Atkinson. And Jeff is the CEO of an exciting new service platform called Huckabye.com. And Jeff is deep in SEO, having led the SEO efforts for Overstock.com, which is a really interesting part of his story. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt and Robert. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, glad to have you on. Why don't you tell our listeners about yourself, uh, a little bit about your background and, and, and your platform? Sure. So uh, I grew up on the East Coast, uh, but was a skier and fell in love with the West. And so after college, I moved uh, to Utah. I took a job on the ground floor at Overstock.com and uh, kind of worked my way up in that organization, put some numbers up on the scoreboard, uh, started in email marketing, and then heard about this thing called search engine optimization. And uh, we had just sort of an incredible SEO run of a channel of you know literally zero to a channel of over 300 million in just a few short years. So I really got to be on the front lines of SEO and see what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, you know, that was a really great experience. Uh, now with Huckabye, we've sort of identified. So I'm the founder and CEO of Huckabye. We're based here in Park City, Utah. Um, it's a software company that addresses sort of – I've always noticed that there's a bit of a, a technical gap um, when it comes to SEO. So there's a lot of sort of service providers and content writers. But when it comes to the actual – you know, technical conversation between a website and a search engine. Um, most sites leave something to be desired. And so we're really intending to sort of fix that gap and make sure that a site has a perfect conversation with Google. And we find when that happens, you know, results are pretty great. So yeah, about 15 people in Park City. Uh, it's a software product that integrates with sites. And um, yeah, excited to be here. I'm a fan of the show. So 
Thanks nice, for having me. Nice. And uh, those of you listening, I, I, I tell you all this all the time that, you know, if you know somebody that's got what it takes to be on this show, to send me an email. And, and that's how we came across you, uh, your, your buddy Finn, right? Yeah. Finn, our marketing manager, is like obsessed with this podcast. So he's been um, pursuing you guys, I know, for probably a few months now. And uh, just as I left the office to record this, uh, he's like, this is the really exciting one. And I've, I've listened to it before. <laughs> it's fantastic. But, yeah, shout out to Finn. He's a big fan, and I know he's listening. Nice. He's uh, got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Jeff, get us started here with you talk quite a bit about a website that matches the perfect world for Google. It's a little bit of a contrarian view. Give us the snapshot of what do you think Google wants in the perfect website? Yeah, so they're actually quite open and honest about what they want. Um, there's a few things that, that come to mind. Uh, the first would be page speed. So I don't know how long Google has to yell about page speed before we listen, but they care about sites that load very quickly, not just because the user experience is a lot better, but if you think about sort of the time and money they spend wasting time and waiting for sites to load, they have a lot of selfish reasons to care about page speed. Um, it just makes their life a lot more efficient if they can crawl fast sites. Um, structured data is sort of the second thing I'd put in Google's perfect world, you know, to have this structured format that they can absorb content and information in. Um, and then the other would be just a site that's built in flat HTML. They aren't a fan of these stuff like Flash and dynamic content where they have a hard time crawling. Uh, I use the example of Wikipedia as sort of their perfect world. Um, it's structured, it's fast, it's flat HTML, very simple. Um, I think that's a good example of uh, a site that sort of falls into that category. So they are pretty open and honest about it. And uh, what we do is just listen and sort of try to give them what they're looking for. Well, they, they say quite a bit often that, you know, to them, a perfect site is the one that satisfies the user. And you hear them say in their literature, it's the user, it's the user, it's the user, it's the user. How does that fit in with your point of view that it's the technical conversation between the website and Google that's really driving the ranking? So I think there's a ton of inherent things in their algorithm that are already focused on the user. So you know, if you think of the most core component of that being links and anchor text, that's all user-driven. And really good content and really good um, – apps and all sorts of stuff will drive those links. And so the, the algorithm is already user, quite user-friendly. Um, I do agree with them that you know, they care a lot about natural language and not keyword stuffing and actually having really a good product and a good interaction. So you still have to do that because those things will always attract links. They'll attract Google as a result. And so those are very important things. My point is that without the technical conversation with them, if you're not having a good technical conversation back and forth, a lot of those things become mute points. So say you have the best site, you know, a really great user experience, but it's a downloadable app and your website's one page and it's totally dynamic and they can't crawl it, you're not gonna get the benefit um, of your full sort of SEO potential. You gotta have that sort of technical conversation and just the ability for them to come in and absorb who you are and what you do. So we're much more about facilitating the conversation and making it easier for them to understand. Um, I do think it's still important for the user focus, but I think there's this sort of technical gap that people don't address because it is so technical um, that you know can hinder sites from their potential ranking possibilities. And yep. so when we turn on this sort of technology and Google gets what they want, um, you know, the floodgates sort of open for them, especially if they have a great product. Yeah, the technology definitely scares people, you know, for sure. And I think we have a, some people listening to the show that are, are business owner operators that are trying to get a handle on SEO, either to manage a vendor or maybe they're doing a little bit yourself. So the technology thing is probably the thing they put at the bottom of the to-do list because maybe that's not where their skill set lie. But I also think that one of the reasons technology doesn't get its due is because it's not visible. I mean, the things that are the technical in inhibitors to ranking aren't things that you see when you load up the website and look at it. Right. 
Jeff, can you give us, in your experience, you know, what are the top three biggest technical inhibitors that the average website has that's holding it back? For sure. So first off, I completely agree. Technology is scary. If you think of like your typical marketer, they can deal with all the other channels really make sense to them. And then they get to SEO. And because it's so technology heaven, it's it's like they have to put on a different hat. So it is it is scary. And it's also not visible. So in terms of like a top three list, I'd say page speed is probably number one. Um, page speed is so important and uh, it only will be more important. Um, the other is indexation. So just pure indexability of a site. They don't give you as much insight into how well are they actually absorbing all the content and stuff that you're creating. And so there are inhibitors there, like a lot of JavaScript frameworks and, you know, reviews will be powered by JavaScript. And sometimes their JavaScript bot will come by, you know, once every two weeks, um, so it could be a real lag to you actually getting the benefit of new content. So page speed, um, indexation, and the third is structured data. So structured data is such a fantastic way to communicate with Google. Um, most sites don't have really great structured data because it is so tech, it's so technically intense. So those would be my top three, page speed, indexability, and structured data. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on the structured data side because I dove in for months learning that stuff and, you know, wanting to be that early adapter and, you know, learn all there is to know about it. And um, it, it's not easy, <laughs> you know. And, it, and it, the biggest problem is nowadays, I think, is everybody uses it, uses it almost like a phone. There's an app for this. There's an app for that, you know. So they're using plugins, mm-hmm. plugins, plugins, and, it, and it's all basic Right. Stuff, people know. don't realize how far structured data can go. Correct. So most people, yeah. when they say structured data, they're looking at the business level, structured data, name, address, phone number, etc. But they're really not marking up the content to give it proper context. There's so much more to it. Right. I mean, like, so you have an organization, for example, or a local business, and you're marking up services or products and connecting those two so that and then obviously your your geolocation and all that good stuff is priceless i've seen and i've you know i hate to put on this because i talk about this a lot <laughs> but with the with schema i've i've had amazing results yeah definitely jeff we had john miller on the show a couple weeks ago and he gave an interesting context to crawl budget which i have to confess i was misinterpreting and one of the pieces of information he gave was that what crawl budget is it's a limitation in that if your server can't satisfy the Googlebot's request and the volume of Googlebot's request, that's how it's inhibiting your rank. It's not that they dedicate X amount of minutes or X amount of hours to you in a, in a month or a week to be able to crawl your site. It's the fact that your page speed is connected to the amount of information you can serve, and one of the key things you're serving it up to is the Googlebot. So you're just not satisfying the Googlebot's appetite for information about your site is that a viewpoint that you're consistent with oh totally yeah i mean when they come to a site they're there to download information and put it into their index and so at a certain point when a site's slow and they can't download enough information yeah they they go another way so uh one of our goals is basically to allow them to download information as fast as they possibly can. So they, they could crawl and index an entire site in, you know, no time. Yeah. It's really, you know, one of our goals. But, yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, it kind of feels like with your answer that we're coming around complete circle on the web because in the early, early days of the web, websites were flat HTML generated by something like front page, right? Not a lot of server mm-hmm. requests went into making up that page. And now it sounds like, Jeff, you're saying we got to get back to that point where more of the content that the browser sees is flat HTML and we got to offload a lot of the server request stuff somewhere else. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, that's exactly when I talk about like Google's perfect world. That's really what they want. Like if you think about take like a B2B software site like SAP and you think about the business requirements put on that site. So you say it's hosted in like Seattle and request comes in from Australia so it 
that request goes all the way to Seattle. Then it goes to the third parties that are on that page, which wherever they're located, their chat box, their analytics, their tracking, all those things firing, those all have to render. And it all comes back, loads up, sends back this request to Australia. I mean, it can take forever. And so, yes, we're all about edge delivery, which is a really kind of complex technical thing. But edge delivery allows basically sites to be stored in memory locally so that no matter whether it's a user or it's a bot from wherever, all the information's ready to go and ready to be crawled and, or ready to be absorbed by a user. And that's really the future, in my opinion, is we do kind of need to simplify things, especially as we as we start adding more apps and more plugins to sites that oftentimes we don't even know who's developed them. We don't know how reliable they are. We don't know how they serve them. And it can put this huge business risk. Say you have a, a plugin on your site that the developer goes on vacation for a month and doesn't get it, you know, it has a bug and it has an issue. You know, your site could get not indexed for two months as a result of that. So. Uh, yeah, I think simplifying things, it might, it's not going to be simplifying things. I don't think that's the way that we work. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be like, all right, let's go back to flat HTML. I think we'll come up with solutions like what I'm trying to come up with that take these complex sites and simplify them for both users and for visitors. The sites are going to get more and more complex. It's the technologies that simplify those things that I think are going to be really successful. Are you are you talking more like like using like expired headers and stuff like that to, to, and browser caching. Yeah, it's all absolutely like caching, keeping stuff in memory, keeping, um, application layers simple so that they don't have to process a bunch of stuff. Um, not having to have database calls, not having a ton of dynamic content, anything that can really, you know, speed up the page. You can do any sort of page speed analysis and see all the offenders, but it's usually, you know, database calls and javascript loading and all sorts of different stuff happening um yeah, yeah those those really get in the way yeah i think we're making some designers listening to the show i think we're making their skin crawl right now because i think oh yeah you know they're <laughs> saying oh my gosh because look at what we're doing we're in a world right now where people are advocating serving up different content to people whether or not they visited the site before serving up different content to people based on their geographic location serving up different content based on what they've put in a cart previously and all of that takes that server request back and forth that you're talking about. And we're now saying maybe there's a greater good in serving up a faster site than all of those back and forth personalizations can yield. Yeah, I think something that's really interesting is people don't, when they add, say, a JavaScript, like personalization is the great, a great example. We did a ton of personalization at Overstock, and um, it's a great example. So. You'll implement some third-party personalization vendor, and results will go down. And you'll be like, why is this? And it's strictly based on page speed. Never mind what it has, what kind of effect it has on Google and how, what your SEO is. It has issues with conversion rates just with your users, just interacting with your users. I've always found that you know we hear this sort of friction between UI and UX and SEO. I find any site that's built really well for SEO, conversion rates go up. They just do. It always happens. Conversion rates go up because you're giving users what they want and what they call things. You're using descriptive navigation. It's easy for a customer to navigate. They know the nomenclature. The site's fast. And even if you pull the SEO channel out and look at conversion rate, because SEO, usually organic, converts really nicely, so it's going to raise it regardless. But if you pull it out, the conversion rate still jumps because people are getting a fast site that's descriptive. It's talking the way that they talk. Um, so I don't think there is this friction between UI, UX, and SEO. I find really good UI, UX actually is the same thing as SEO. Um, when you add in these complicated things, very rarely do people consider the other effects that it might have, so especially with your relationship with Google. So. I think we spend so much time and money about UI UX with humans. What's the UI UX for Google? What's their experience when they come? Yeah. That's arguably the most important visitor in my mind. So what's their experience? We don't really talk about that. I mean, and that's definitely true. But if you have a bad UX and good SEO that don't mix, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to yeah. win on all fronts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just, you know, 
giving, looking at demand, you know, I always say that cert, keyword research is just undervalued. Like understanding the demand that's out there, what people are searching for is undervalued and understanding your business. Biz, I've seen businesses change just based on keyword research. I mean, Overstock became a home and garden company from electronics and watches just through keyword research, figuring out that big box retailers that were doing furniture and stuff weren't selling online yet. So we moved into that space and kind of took it over. Um, it can really sort of help a business grow by looking at the demand and then figuring out how to how to create a product that's that helps that demand. Keyword research is if you turn the clock back 20 years ago, people would pay thousands of dollars for the type of marketing data that keyword research offers for free. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, your Bains in, of the world, that's how they that's how they got I mean hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, absolutely interviewing customers and, and it's not even nearly as good i mean you, they'd spend so much money to just try to you know sit down with customers and interview them and now you just have the raw facts of what people search for right at your disposal yeah and it does take a special person too that does that keyword research to understand the semantic you know to the, mm -hmm. the intent for the searcher so like you can't just you know, I mean, you've got to do your, you've got to know what you're doing when you're doing. You can't just go to the table, look for the word right. with the most volume and go Eureka. Yeah. I want to rank for cat. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, you can't yeah. Do that. It yeah. takes a lot more thought. Yeah. But Jeff, you said yeah, something I interesting people, and I, and I well, find it to be, oh, sorry, I, I was just going to, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I find it interesting. It's because it's consistent with my experience too, about page speed. Why is it taking so long to get businesses and SEOs focused on page speed? And it kind of, Reminds me of when mobile was first coming out and how Google harped and harped and harped and harped and harped about mobile, 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 mobile. And we're now in the same era where they're preaching page speed. Everybody's talking about page speed. You can go to any podcast and listen about page speed. And yet SEOs and business owners, they're not reacting to it. Why is this message of page speed finding there's so much resistance to it? Why do you think that is? Because it's a technical problem, yeah. and it's a very complex technical problem. So again, your typical CMO is great at managing budgets and figuring out ROI and branding and that sort of thing. For them to figure out page speed, I mean, they have to be a CTO. Your CTO figures out page speed. So something that they're not comfortable with is something that they're just not going to do. It's like the kid that doesn't like math and has to take math classes through high school but when he gets to college he doesn't take any more math classes <laughs> um they just don't like to do it so it becomes very hard on a superficial level what would you say are the top inhibitors of page speed as you've worked with sites on your platform there's really two it's dynamic content and not even content just things that are dynamic basically that are coming the most common offenders javascript and then the second is images so images um, can be just they're, they're ne almost never optimized and they're such a big part of sort of the load on any site and, and they're just rarely optimized and people throw them up without really thinking about it so definitely dynamic content and then uh, images and it seems like there's so much technology to make the optimization of photographs and images easy today yeah, even wordpress yeah. does it to an extent you know? yeah i mean compared to two years ago you yeah. had to do it all that stuff yourself image by image by image yeah. and now you can kind of do it on a scale on on a mass basis mm -hmm. yeah but think about the person that's loading the image so um if you have a designer that's listening to this podcast they probably get it but not every designer in the country listens to this podcast so wait 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 are you sure about that <laughs> I hate to tell you, <laughs> but I don't think they do. And, uh, you know, it, oftentimes it's it's a designer or it's just like a local business owner, right, that owns their domain and is using, you know, some sort of WordPress or, or whatever it happens to be. And they don't know about this stuff. And so it just happens. Um, whoever ends up loading the content onto the site typically doesn't have an SEO background, never mind a technical SEO background. So it just doesn't happen. When we uh, talk more about structured data, I'm interested to hear how does your platform automate structured data? Because isn't a little bit of structured data interpretive? You have to understand what the content is in order to mark it up. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so there are developers overlooking. It's really about the setup of the structured data by page type that gets the automation there. So once we know what to look for, um, the system optimizes itself. But the great part about the automation piece, especially for structured data, is that it's a moving target. Um, structured data is changing all the time in terms of what they want, like requirements and so on and so forth. So it's a moving target. Also, websites are constantly changing. So to have those two variables just taken care of with an automated solution um, makes it really, you know, sort of helpful. So give us, can you give us a little sense of that? Like what's an example of that where a site would have some level of structured markup and something evolved and your automation caught it, flagged somebody to improve it or improved it itself? Yeah, probably the most recent example would be event markup, which is a very heavily used markup. Event markup slightly changed. I forget the exact requirement that they asked for, but it became a required field, and most companies didn't have it. You know, it didn't really even exist. So we caught that within like an hour because we're actually using the same structured data GitHub repository that Google uses, which, surprise, surprise, actually isn't schema.org. It's the JSON-LD uh, repository. So we actually noticed these things within like an hour or so of them changing it, unless they change in the middle of the night. Um, and we'll update, you know, 50-plus customers all at once, whereas that mistake would probably hang out there, you know, for months on end on your typical um, site that's doing structured data either internally or is using some sort of plug-in to, to manually update. So that's that's an example of, like, us being able to get to something really quickly, and then also our customers get the benefit of that. So they get the benefit, actually, of that new, you know, whatever it is. Their, their, their event markup will be taken and displayed more prominently than, than if you have it broken. So similarly with the recent change on review markup, your platform detected that sooner and was able to incorporate the needed changes faster than someone else who wasn't using some level of automation did. Right. Yeah, that's taken care of. Like before, customer anyone would before anyone would even notice it. It's taken care of. Wow, fascinating. And then, how do you prove that to your clients? <laughs> because it's so technical, you know. Like, <laughs> Honestly, like, I don't think okay. we do a great job of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we do that. I mean, they get all sorts of benefits that I don't even think they know about, and that's that's part of being a startup, right? Is sure. We spend a lot on development and very little on marketing. And so we don't really do the best in marketing. I mean, like not just marketing to potential customers, but communicating, just simply communicating to current customers. Like they get a level of structured data that they, they definitely don't understand. Um, and so it's, it is hard to communicate that. I think the results are really what we focus on in terms of their like, wow, this really works because they're growing so quickly. Um, but it is hard to, communicate the technical, you know, we really are a technical product. And in fact, we're starting to sell, especially SEO cloud, we're starting to sell in at about 50, 50 to, to the actual development part of the company, the engineering part of the company, and they get it right away. And it's, it's actually an easier sell, but it, it yeah, our customers probably don't understand the level of sort of world-class structured data in the automation, um, as well as they should, but we're, we're working on that. It's part of being a startup. I'd like to get some of your feedback on, uh, let's say, if you have any data that you've, through your setting up structured data, as far as the zero position. Have you seen a, any click-through rates that have been, like, better than maybe position one? Or um, I kind of have, to me, I think Google's a little self-serving when it comes to that you know when they give that position zero because it's like we're, we're trying to answer the question we don't care if they go to your site <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah um so i mean click-through rates can be what i can do is i can give you some facts about what structured data does from a performance perspective that are probably a little bit different than what you've heard if that would be helpful yes um Okay, so the first thing that happens with good structured data is your number of ranking keywords, specifically non-branded, mid-to-tail terms, jumps significantly. Yeah, I've seen that. So 
the connection, and I think it has to do with the authoritativeness of structured data. So even if you had a keyword that was somewhere in a meta description or it was in, in text somewhere, there just wasn't a strong enough connection for them to consider you. Once it's in structured data, they definitely consider it. So, and I'll give you, I'll just give you the stats. So we have over 50 customers. They range from, you know, your SAP and sales forces of the world to startups, all kind of all over the board. Our average customer after 12 months of implementing our product, our structured data product, they, their keywords grow 101%. So 101%, and that's keywords that rank in the top 100 results in Google. Um, so 101% growth. So that's actually like, mm. and they, they love that because sort of the bread and butter of any great SEO is sort of these mid detail terms. People are starting to get specific. They're looking for a very specific thing and they can find it. Um, so that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is those links start to show up in the top 10 yep. and they get impressions. So average uh, customer after 12 months, impressions grow, I think it's 92%. After that, they'll start to get clicks, obviously. Mm -hmm. And our average customer after 12 months sees a rise of about 62% in organic search clicks just through structured data. So it, it moves the needle. I always joke about, you know, sure. Matt Cutts used to say, oh, this doesn't do anything for rankings. It absolutely does, because it just makes sense. If you think about how much more Google understands about SAP.com when structured data is layered on top of it sure. than they did when it was just HTML, there's just no comparison. It's so a, yeah, it's all, a, all the other things, sorry, just to finish, all the other things like uh, rich cards and whether or not they're going to show up and click-through rates, that stuff changes so dynamically based on whether or not they're going to show you. Right. I always consider those things kind of like bonuses, but those are like the, the stats around what it, what it actually does across our customer base. Yeah, I think that Google is right in what they're saying, that it isn't a direct, you know, ranking factor but when raising the click-through rate on a particular page because it's showing rich results then that's going in in itself bring a, a page up because it's getting the more clicks you know what i'm saying yeah at the end at the end of the day yep. we complicate this a lot but it is a democracy right and it google's is. saying if i show this to 100 people and a bunch of them click on it then they're clearly saying that this is germane to the query that they put in on the page so therefore, it must be relevant. So clicks are one of the most important votes you can get. Yes, and we've done mm -hmm. that through several testing. We've seen, you know, Rand and all those other people doing. Absolutely, this. yeah. I think it's even more important for voice search. And I don't know how much you guys have thought about this, but voice search completely relies on structured data. So sure. all that voice, you know, instead of on a desktop where you get ten blue links back, you just get one answer, and that answer is typically powered by structured data. Um, that's going to be a whole different world when voice search, you know, it's going to be like mobile where at some point voice search is like overwhelmingly used more than typing. Um, it's just going to happen. The reason it hasn't happened yet is the product isn't good enough. So I can't buy the best product at the best price by doing a voice search, but I probably will in like five, two years, three years. And once that happens and I know that I'm going to get the best price, it'll, you know, people are going to just switch to it so fast. All right, Jeff. Hold Good that answer. thought because we uh, we have to take a break real quick. But but when we get back, we're going to do what's called who influences the influencer. We're going to ask you, the influencer, who influences you. All right. Sounds right good. After, after yeah. these messages. Today's episode of Search Talk Live is sponsored by. Hey, Robert. You're here early for the show. Yeah, I got a ton of SEO work done this morning, and I got it done way ahead of schedule. Couldn't have done it without Ahrefs. Yeah, so much easier than using multiple programs and having data in a bunch of different places. Plus, being able to see what is holding a page back from ranking in Ahrefs is so much faster than picking through each part myself. Oh, yeah, I agree. We use Ahrefs because it's so easy to teach people at our agency how to use it. Their YouTube tutorials couldn't be better. It's one thing to have a tool. It's another thing to know your team is using it to its full capacity. I don't think there's an easier, more complete tool than Ahrefs. Hey, Robert, why don't you hit them up to be a sponsor of the show? I am way ahead of you. Ahrefs, the official SEO tool of Search Talk Live. Try their new seven-day trial for only $7. Go to ahrefs.com. That's ahrefs.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy. Until now. 
Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E. Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Learning a lot from Search Talk Live, but don't know what specific SEO actions you should be taking on your website? Or maybe you've tried to implement SEO on your website, but haven't gotten the results you were aiming for. We've all been there. That's why we here at Pixel Cut Labs created the SEO Project Planner. It's a one-time project where our SEO team runs a full site crawl, overlays data from leading SEO tools, and manually audits every page on your website. We'll use our findings to craft a strategic plan that covers everything from your link building strategy to page level technical SEO and content recommendations. The project planner is perfect for businesses that are serious about SEO and want to hit a home run by leveraging our proven SEO strategy. To learn more and to see pricing for your project, visit pixelcutlabs.com STL or text STL to 31996. Pixel Cut Labs, welcome to page one. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. And, Jeff, it is time for Who Influences the Influencer? So why don't you tell us who you follow to uh, kind of stay up to date on the in-, in the industry? So I'd probably be most influenced by our CTO. His name is Chase Mathewson, and he follows Google and what they're up to closer than anyone I've ever witnessed. So. In terms of me getting like information that helps drive decisions and kind of keep up this to date on the SEO world, he's really the one. Um, in terms of generally who I'm influenced by, I was definitely influenced quite heavily by the founder and CEO of Overstock, who is my mentor, nice. um, former CEO. He's been in the news a lot lately <laughs> and he's left, um, but he was a fantastic mentor. And then I also became friends with Josh James, who uh, was the founder and CEO of Omniture, now is the founder and CEO of um, Domo here in Utah, and um, just really kind of inspired by how he can grow a software company. Um, I have an e-commerce background and digital marketing background, so the software thing is sort of sort of new to me, and I'm yeah. learning a lot from him because he does it he does it well. Domo has had ups and downs, but his track record is pretty incredible and just really sharp guy. Nice. Any any good podcasts you listen to? <laughs> Honestly, I, <laughs> I um I love yours. I I listen. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts because I actually don't have a commute. Yeah. Um, I can walk to work, uh, which is really nice. But uh, I did just listen to the Joe Rogan podcast about the Navy with the Navy uh, uh, pilot who literally uh, interacted with a UFO. And he's like a totally straight laced uh, guy from New Hampshire who's like a really high up in the Navy. And it's worth a listen. Oh, my God. It was like it's pretty amazing. They're not he's not covering up anything. It's just like, yeah, I I literally interacted with a UFO. We are going to do a show on UFOs. You should. Really? How do you SEO for them? (laughs) Search stuff for a while. (laughs) I think that would attract listeners. SEO for UFOs. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. Hey, Jeff, right before the break, we were talking about a really interesting topic, and that is how do you prove the value of some of this really cool stuff that your platform is doing? And you were kind of inferring that it's a little bit challenging and maybe you're reviewing some things that you're doing. Tell us, how do you tell the clients who are buying your platform that these incredibly technically important things that you're doing are indeed bringing value at the end of the day? He's got these puppets. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think i do a very good job of it honestly i mean certain people just get it right away and they're like we need this it's necessary um we haven't i i had this sort of mantra that all the software all the development efforts we were going to make were going to be strictly for growth so 
There's tons of you. There's tons of dashboards out there for SEO rank trackers and uh, site crawlers and all sorts of stuff. We're not going to do that. We're going to focus on performance-based SEO software, which I thought was really sort of missing, especially when it comes to like the technical side. So that was my mantra, and it turns out I was totally wrong. <laughs> you do need to be able to show st people stuff, and so now we're pretty heavily investing in a dashboard that. We'll show a lot of the statistics that have sort of gone away from Google Search Console. We'll have a lot of crawl stats. I mean, we're actually interacting with Google on behalf of our customers. So we have some really interesting information that I think SEOs will enjoy. So it was very hard though, where, you know, say we go live and six months later, they just kind of know us from talking with our SEO analysts. They start to think that we're like an agency and yeah. we're like, no, our software's live and it's doing really well. So we're trying to get a lot better at sort of visualizing that, both for customers and potential customers. Yeah. And, um, and I think that'll be a really big step. Um, but it is hard to have a software product that people can't really see. So yeah. we're fixing that now. At the moment, is your platform generating any type of routine reports on a specific interval? It does, yes. Yeah. So we actually now have the APIs from Google Search Console, AREFs, and our own personal information through SEO Cloud. And so we have a pretty good, a pretty good data set um, that's a visible within the beta sort of function of our dashboard. Uh, in the past, we've always just done monthly reports, and there's sort of like a PDF that shows ranking keywords, impressions, clicks, revenue, all those sorts of things. Yeah. But it's becoming much more interactive, which is great. Yeah, Google Data Studio is kind of leading in that area, I think. If you take out the really expensive platforms, making reports yeah, interactive. That's actually yeah, that's actually what we used, uh, still do use for our, our monthly reports. I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I'll tell you an experience that I had about two years ago is we got some guidance from uh, one of my mentors and person I respect and said, you know, why don't you go to your clients and ask them if the three to four hours you spend per month in their account generating a report is really valuable to them or would they rather have that three to four hours invested into performance-based activities and you stopped giving mm. them a report. So we went to our clients and we asked them that question. Not surprisingly, everybody said, oh, no, 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 I don't need that report. Use the time to make my business better. So we did it. And about 60 <laughs> days into it, uh, we couldn't handle the phone calls. And we our, yeah. our churn rate went way up. So I yep. think that the value of the report sometimes is understated, and it's a, it's a connectivity issue, yeah. if nothing else. Yep. And I think every SEO has to struggle to find the right report at the right time with the right level of information that helps bond the client to the work. In your case, it's with a platform, or in our case, it's to an agency or an individual. But the reporting is yeah. an important part of the relationship. It really is, yeah. Um, it is – I'm not surprised that that, that, that happened, and um, – you know, it's a great Napoleon line. Time spent in reconnaissance is never wasted. So there's so much data around SEO that I think you're right in being very smart about what to show and what actually influences, you know, the, uh, the customer and making this, like, great relationship so that they're make, making good business decisions. And uh, my ultimate dream is to actually have Huckabye be self-optimizing SEO, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but... With all the data that we're gathering, uh, ranking changes, changes to the site, changes in structured data, changes in page speed, I think at some point, instead of just giving recommendations, we want the platform to actually make changes on its own, which is uh, kind of scary, <laughs> but I think it's the future. That's like and the holy grail, but there's so much changes that go on. <laughs> yeah, I think the SEO unemployment rate would go up significantly if you made true on that. I know it's a scary. It's pro, it's a non. Uh, it's not very welcome to this idea among SEOs, but it's really my my goal um, at some point is to have a self optimizing platform. We're starting to get there with certain things like metadata and structured data. Will probably be the first two that that start getting included in this, um, where we kind of get a real good sense of what works and what doesn't, and it just happens. So we think a lot about like what would just kind of take off in terms of performance, and I think that's something that could kind of go nuts. It's it's kind of like, well, I hate to use this analogy, but auto autonomous driving. If you can get them just better than the average driver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a market for it. Yeah. And Jeff, in your yeah. bio, you've got an interesting point that you were at Overstock when it went from 0% revenue from organic search 
to some huge number revenue from organic search. And I was really curious, since you were there and you looked at that, you witnessed it, what was the turning point? What was the catalyst where somebody said, bang, we're, we got to turn the ship on this because we're at zero and all of a sudden we got to get somewhere else? What, what drove that sudden change? So I remember uh, I met a guy named Paul Bremer, who is, I think, just an SEO genius. He doesn't really work in the space anymore because um, he hated working with clients. But he really sort of taught me SEO. I remember one phone call. I didn't know anything about SEO. And I was like, what? You can make these changes to your site and Google would just like give you all this traffic and revenue? And so I kind of got the gist of it. And then I remember going to Patrick, the CEO's office, and being like, hey, man, <laughs> I got to show you on a whiteboard this thing. So not only did I – was I kind of fully convinced about the opportunity, but so was he, which is like everything because you get the resources to do it. At the same time, my team was implementing an internal search engine, so something that um, you know when you search for products on Overstock. And – during their sales pitch, or the company, the various companies we were looking at, their pitches often included, well, we can also do this for navigation. And a light went off in my head that basically we could have the perfect SEO site if we leveraged one of these search engines. So like attributes would flow into the URLs and you could basically have a page for almost any search term you wanted, you know, thousand thread count, white sheets. There was an attribute driven category page that would surface. And wow. so I went in, so Patrick was really behind this vision. And I sort of, I remember actually I was so scared. It was the first time I ever talked to our board. And I went up to the whiteboard and I drew out this sort of map that I had of how to, you know, here's the homepage and here's everything between that and the product page. And here's what it looks like. And they got behind it. And I literally went into, we called it a war room for two months and developed and built this thing with a partner. And we went. Overstock was pretty well known at the time. We were doing TV, so the domain authority was really high, but the site was terrible. And this goes back to sort of that technical conversation with Google. They couldn't make heads or tails of the site. So we went from that to almost like the perfectly optimized e-commerce SEO site you could imagine in two months. And stuff just went crazy. I mean, it was so fun just to see how quickly we grew. And... Um, that's really what did it. You know, we had the C the CEO's support. We had a technical product that could drive everything from the homepage down to the product page. And uh, we built it and it worked. Uh, it was kind of, it was kind of one of those things where you like have an idea and then to see it come to fruition and generate, you know, this huge business impact was, uh, was really exciting. It was probably like one of the prouder moments in my, in my career to have that happen. Understandable. Some big numbers. And that brings up a, a valid thing I wanted to ask him about. Um, did your – I'm sure they did, but Overstock, did you utilize the search, the, the on-page search uh, analytics? I mean, utilizing you know product searches to find out maybe off – find new products or whatever like that? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, we did a ton. I mean, this is how Overstock became a home and garden company. Essentially, we were looking, we had a very strong SEO team. We were really focused in like electronics, jewelry, and watches. Like if you think of the old Overstock when the commercials started coming out, it really didn't have anything to do with Home and Garden. And so we started doing keyword research and we identified that uh, the Home and Garden category was basically being serviced by big box retailers. And they weren't really savvy online yet, which was just, a, this is like 2007. So they weren't really savvy online. So we saw these huge search volumes, but really low competition. Wow. So we, we built out a supply chain with, you know, furniture and bedding and all these things. And now Overstock's a, you know, it's it's in a home and garden company. That's what it's known for. Um, <laughs> down comforters, memory foam, all yeah. those things. So that was kind of wild. I'm going to give you one really specific example. I remember we had a lot of search volume for black end tables. <laughs> and we had no black end tables. So we contacted a partner and said, hey, just start building, you know, painting your end tables black and let's put them on the site. It was like a $10 million channel overnight. And it was just wow. like, that's keyword research for you. You know, if there's demand out there and you fill it, that's boom, it takes off. That is a phenomenal story. Yeah. I love that story. <laughs> black end tables. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a great story. $10 million. Yeah, you know, when I talk to people across the country with the Grow With Google program, I tell them what value they can find in their Google Search Console data just yeah. like yeah. that. 
that's mm-hmm. that's big nuggets right yeah there. <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of hidden gems i mean the, probably the worst offenders are the b2b software players where they call their products by these crazy names <laughs> you know every you know if you look through a uh, Salesforce or whoever it is, they just they call for some reason they have to call their products these like weird names. Hmm. If they just called it what people search for, they'd get a lot more business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, branding one hundred and one. Then you also get the reverse <laughs> where a client's telling you, "I want to rank for this keyword, but just no searches." Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no glory in ranking number one for a phrase that nobody searches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There should be a TV show for that. There should be a right. competition for that. Yeah. Yeah, great reality show. Well, is it time for uh, Believe It or Leave It? It is time. All right, Jeff, time for Believe It or Leave It, one of the more popular parts of Search Talk Live, where we give you three statements we actually did find on the Internet from somebody's blog or somebody's article, and we're going to ask you to tell our audience if they should believe it or if they should leave it. Are you ready? Sounds good. I'm ready. All right, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Robert. I'm going to do three first. Okay, here we go. Uh, Number one, user experience metrics are more important than page speed as a ranking signal. (laughs) We covered this. (laughs) Shh. Leave it. Leave it. I'd say leave it, yeah. I I bet that because it comes from somewhere else, well, I don't know quite how the game works if I get a right or wrong answer or it's just my uh, (laughs) – my advice but my advice is to leave it uh i think customer experience metrics are very much driven by page speed so i would focus on the page speed and ignore i don't really trust either ui ux metrics yeah there's a really in this article that i found this on was pretty interesting but again he was making that author actually i apologize i think it was a she uh was making the point that at, at the end of the day the overarching signal to google is whether or not you satisfied users and that google measures it through those what we're now calling vanity metrics on that and therefore that should be your overdriving your driving force for seo that was her position my question on that would be how would they know how would they know once they leave Google, how would they know how they interact with the page? And so how could it be a ranking metric? Don't they see the Google Analytics data? Oh, you're right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Question number you two. They use that, you think they use that in the algorithm a lot, the Google Analytics data? Well, that's, the big, sort of like that's <laughs> the big mystery, right? You know, <laughs> no. uh, I didn't come close to asking John Mueller that. I've asked him that question already, and he told me they don't use it on an individual level. They use it on an aggregate level. Which is their answer for everything, right? <laughs> I mean, do you use oxygen yeah. in the ranking algorithm on an aggregate level but not on an individual level? <laughs> do they yeah. talk like that? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Number two, having properly marked up header tags is not required to rank highly or high, yeah, highly on Google. Is that right? I believe it. You'd believe it. I believe. Yeah, I'm probably going to get all these wrong, but I am a bit of a contrarian. Yeah, I've seen pages rank without proper header tags, unless you're talking about title tags. Uh, I think you're talking about like H ones, yes, H2s types of tags. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've seen pages. I don't think they even really care about H1s and H2s anymore. You know, and, and they uh, actually, um, in one of the help documents, they came out recently and, and did say that. Yeah. Uh, with with a level of clarity that surprised me. And I think that for me it was a little bit surprising because I have um, preached to our folks. It's it's the organization of the content that matters, you know, from a UX experience or reader. It's like going back into fourth grade and kind of outlining an article, right, giving it structure. And if you give it structure, then you give people the ability to skim it. And so I, I did believe that the header tags were kind of like Roman numeral one of an outline s- yeah. signaling what's the content about, and they do not seem to be bringing any value. The other thing, too, that was really interesting, he says you can use H1s multiple times. Multiple times, times right. What? <laughs> yeah, the hierarchy is yeah. overstated then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there are a lot of plugins that make you put in them as a hierarchy in WordPress, for example, when you're creating content, and yeah. now they're saying there is no such thing as the hierarchy. Hmm. Yeah, I think the H1s and H2s is sort of um, old-school SEO at this point. Um, it's kind of funny because Google actually moves so fast. We have a market leader, right, and they're just moving so fast. And um, the industry of SEO, not not talking about you guys. You guys get it. But there is a lot of sort of lagging behind 
stuff and uh h1s and h2s yeah that, that would definitely fall into that category where <laughs> it's kind of like uh, the reason i think that they don't care about it is it's almost like an seo trick because no one else really sees it and so why would they care about it you know um if it's not visible to the user and they can't interact with it a ton why would they care about it so they just kind of got rid of it yeah or it's just been abused and abused kind of like reviews it's, it's the game right yeah <laughs> all right, right jeff number three a properly marked up page that only the Google bot can see can bring ranking value. So no, there's no content, but there's just markup? Uh, there is content on it. <laughs> I was like, wow. But it's a page designed <laughs> only for the bot's consumption. Huh. That would be a cool um, test, though. No content, just markup. I don't totally understand the question. So there is content and there is markup, but there's what's what's not there. It's it, just not visible to a user. Or? Correct. Hmm. Well, if it's typically not visible to a user, it can't be accessed by a bot. So I would say, it, if it can't be accessed by a bot, they're not going to find it, which would make it yeah, it, it wouldn't rank. Um, if, if the user can't get to it, then they can't get to it which means it, it, it wouldn't uh, probably rank. If it was like same color text or something like that? Or? No, this is a really convoluted uh, almost like strategy that this author was advocating that yeah. you create a page that is flawlessly marked up for the bot, but you don't want to serve that up to the user because it, it wouldn't read as well or wouldn't have the right as many words in it. But you would link to that page from the page that the bot sees. Yeah, that. this is totally dark web. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, here's the thing. So say it does get indexed, it does start ranking, then users watch. are going to see it. <laughs> and if you don't want users seeing it and interacting with it or buying it, it makes it sort of useless. So I don't know why you do it. Um, and it's super dark web. And this is coming from a guy that got Overstock banned for six months from Google. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, oh, mention that, that with three minutes left in the yeah, show. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's my uh, sort of badge of honor in terms of dark SEO. But, yeah, I would never do that. It's, that. That stuff doesn't work anymore. I think that's a clear leave it. I wouldn't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> wow, talk about burying the lead there, Jeff. That's a pretty salacious piece of information there you just stuck out there. Let's schedule well, Jeff for another show. you have to have me back. Again. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. I think it is time uh, for the Search Talk Live tattoo jeff when you think about all the things we've shared with our audience today and about the show and if you had to leave one piece of really succinct compelling counsel that is tattooable what would that be so i would say uh listen to google those three words um they're quite open and honest about what they want out of a website and i think us as marketers don't listen enough uh, if we just listen to what they want and sort of help them navigate our sites and, and understand them, um, we're giving them, you know, it's great for everybody. So, Is that uh, with filters or without? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, with filters. I think we get a lot of information from their development community. Yeah. Um, that seems to be where a lot of this, like, when their developers talk, uh, listen, it, they definitely put a, a different face on the search engine than is reality but if you listen to developers they're the ones actually implementing the changes and they're quite open and honest you know i, I well the reason i love doing the show is because i love hearing the different viewpoints that we get and a couple weeks ago we had joy hawkins on the show and if you're not familiar with her she's a local search expert and her tattoo was um don't listen to what google says watch what they do and that's been <laughs> echoed by a couple other people on the show that says yeah. you know don't listen to what they say but watch what they do, and they describe some variances between what Google says and what they ultimately end up doing. So yeah. I love getting the the different viewpoints on that. But I, yeah, I'd ask, I'm, your con, I'm your contrarian guest, I, I yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, we find them to be very insightful. <laughs> but Robert, I, I'd ask you, as someone who's been doing this for an awfully long time, would you say that Google is clearer today in their communication and directives than they were? six years ago um i would say yeah i think john's doing a better job than matt was doing well i think it's that uh but also i think that google was just wrapped in more mystique six years ago and i think for yeah. me the turning point was mobile 
and they came out and they said mobile is a ranking factor, period, yeah. right? In those clear terms, and there yeah. was nothing ambiguous about it. And that, to me, kind of started this turn where they've now been greater clarity. Even this last communication about review markup, mm-hmm. I thought, had a uh, high level of clarity to it, whereas I think six years ago they might have couched that in terms like, we're doing some things to improve the quality of signals, and one of the things that you may want to do is da 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 A lot of maybes, and may- but they came out this time and said, we're doing this. You should do that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think they're clearer. I think they're doing a good job about um, being one, – one tidbit I'll tell you about to look into is how they talk about dynamic rendering. Um, it's one facet of technical SEO that's – like completely overlooked it's how what powers our seo cloud and um, it's something that they're talking a lot about and i don't think people are listening so uh worth looking at how they speak about dynamic rendering and jeff i'd like to probably have you on again and, and let's talk about because that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole to jump down but i'd love to talk about it because i mean there's ways of doing it and there's obviously ways not to do it. <laughs> I honestly think it's their biggest fundamental change since I've been in this business. Um, for them to say that you can crawl an alternate version of the site is like against everything they've stood for for years. Yeah. So I think it's a big deal. Cloaking and all that. Noise. Yep. Great stuff. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for being on the show. Again, we've really enjoyed it. Lots of good information and uh, hope we can have you on again sometime. I'd love that. Such a pleasure, Matt. Such a pleasure, Robert. Thank you guys for having me, and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. All right. Have a fantastic day. Send us some of that cooler weather in Utah down here to Florida. I'd rather go to Utah. (laughs) I'll try my best. (laughs) We'll just go there. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please, if you are interested in being on the show, send send me an email, Robert at Search Talk Live, or Matt. You can do Matt or Robert at Search Talk Live. Uh, like I said, the website's down right now. I'll be working on, as soon as I finish this big project, uh, a new one, a new version of it, probably more simplified. But uh, uh, it'll be back up in a couple of weeks. And uh, go to search talk, uh, go to Twitter. And, uh, oh, Jeff, are you still there? I'm here. Please tell everybody how they can reach you if they wanted to ask a question or reach you on Twitter or whatever it might be. Yeah, so one thing I definitely wanted to offer your audience, if they want to get in touch, um, if you come to our site and fill out a uh, contact us form, and then you put this the name of the podcast, um, if you heard me on the podcast, I'll make sure to connect with you directly. So we can have a phone conversation. It's not going to be a sales call or anything like that. We can just talk SEO. Um, you have such a great audience that uh, I want to make sure that um, if they want to learn more, that they can just uh, chat with me directly. Oh, I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you. So thank you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> um, where was I now? Oh, be sure and visit our sponsors, Hrefs. Uh, you can for seven dollars, or you can have seven days for seven dollars. And I would tell you just try it because once you have tried it, it will be hooked. There is a ton of data. You can track keywords. You can track. Uh, they even track more than just the keywords you give them. So I mean they. They really give you a good picture of what's showing up for rich results. Uh, you name it. I mean, it's it's. I if you love data, that's where you should go. Honestly, <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm allowed to chime in on a sponsor, but I would completely agree. It's our favorite SEO tool at Huckabuck. Nice. Nothing makes SEO easier. Nope. And it's the official sponsor. <laughs> it's the official sponsor of Search Talk Live. And Robert, coming up next week, we're going to be talking about data, right, with Jason White. Yes. Yes, we are. So getting off the SEO track just a little bit and talking about data. Yes. And we are all data geeks here. Yep. So, and the other uh, sponsor I want to mention was Pixel Pixel Cut Labs. Go check them out. I, I had a, a nice phone call with them uh, yesterday. Uh, I kind of went over their platform. Uh, they, uh, If you have a website and you really don't know a lot about SEO and you, you want to get information on the technical side as well as uh, just an audit on your site and 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 what you need to do. You can go check them out. They're just uh, amazing reports they give you, and, and can really help you out uh, if you're not the the technical type of person like we are. Um, but again, thank you for listening to the show. SearchTalkLive.com. We'll be back in about two weeks. But you can go on Twitter and hit us up there with hashtag SearchTalkLive uh, if you want to be a, a sponsor 
or you want to be on the show, go and send me an email, robert at searchtalklive. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great week. Bye-bye. Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. If you have questions for Search Talk Live or you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor of the show, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's searchtalklive.com.